Lucky Leftover Lovers and Maximalists. Benefit from the bounty of your bumper crop? Be glad of your glorious glut and investigate the infinity of intemperance. Because it's time to talk toll to me, toll to me, toll to me, toll to me. Welcome back. I am Omen Thomas Sade. And I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Told Me. An ever-expanding embarrassment of riches in the stuffed warehouses of Prague Rock, in which nth-degree Nick and overmuch Omen happily inhabit the inordinate nimiety of work, the grand and expanding discography that is the work of more songs than you can shake a stick at rock band Jethro Tull. We will probe the prodigality of Pigroke, busy ourselves with the bacchanal of benefit, and capitulate to that double-stacked Cadillac of an album, Catfish. Song by song, album by album, we will, like rotund Roman revelers, stuff ourselves to satiation with the tautological tsunami of rock and roll, only to void ourselves in the vomitorium of the potosphere in order to make more room for the lavish profusion of sounds that awaits. And our outsized muse on this overstocked journey is none other than the superlative Scotsman, the King Kong of the Claghorn, the loquacious Leviathan of language, the preposterously biblically, hippoponicetically <laughs> prolific ad nauseum, pentagruelian in talent, Ian Anderson. Wow. Nick, I'm very certain that some of those were actual words. I, I could not. I've, I've got a new t-shirt idea. Void ourselves in the vomitorium of the potosphere. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Mm. I love it. It feels good anyway. It feels it feels right. It just feels right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Nick, welcome back. Here we are, another week, another song about which we will talk tall. That is correct. Here we are again to talk tall. We are still into the we're just you know we're just getting started on the bonus tracks of Broadsword and the Beast. We're on bonus track number three this week. We have not even really tiptoed far into the the vaunting mountain of bonus tracks. The thickness of bonus tracks. Yeah, we've still got one, two, three. We're almost halfway there. Almost halfway. The quantity of bonus tracks baffles the imagination. I mean, it's it's not as bad as like it's whale like. It's not, it's not galactic as, in its proportion. It's not as bad as Heavy Horses was, or that's true, or War Child for that matter. War Child really had a a, a Goliath. It had an apocalyptic dump truck full of bonus tracks. <laughs> an apocalyptic dump truck. That was my uh, that was my stripper name in college, actually. Yes, yes. Oddly remember. enough, yeah. Remember, yeah. I gave you your first dollar. Oh, frame. I do, I do. It's still damp. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, anything to say? Oh, well, I suppose we should ask. What song is it that we have the pleasure of listening to and subsequently talking to all about this week? Oh my gosh, this week we are talking about too many two. Well, I have two ears, so let's put the music into both of them. That is the right amount. Let's listen. (laughs) 
Hello, Nick. Omen, too many too. Is is that enough for you? Is that it was that too many for you? <laughs> it was it was rather a lot. It was a lot. It was it was a it was an unrestrained amount of twos. It was it was balls to the wall too. It was a it was a it was a too many two a palooza. <laughs> I uh I've got twos out the wazoos. I I had some bad acid at the original Too Many Two of Palooza. never around. been the same since. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Nick, this is a song that I have not really been super familiar with up until fairly recently. And I, and I still would say I'm not, you know, overly familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Is this a song that you have any emotional connection with? Does it live in a special place in your heart? No. No, not, not, especially because, I mean, last week's was so darn good. Mayhem Maybe and Jacqueline the last two weeks were just so darn good. This one just really falls flat for me, to be honest. Well, in that case, since neither of us have a particular emotional attachment to it, I think that we should approach it like, like scientists. Yes, let's dissect it. We'll be objective. Get everything we can out of it. We'll get the most funding that we can, and then we'll see if our colleagues can have the same results that we had. Then we'll chuck it in the bin and try to commercialize it. That's phase three, yes. Yes. Okay. Okay, great. But we're on phase one. Yeah. Okay, go. So, so Nick, this is a song called Too Many Two, as you may recall. Right. T-O-O, T-O-O. What have we got going on musically here? It is more synthy funk. Oh, Yes. It's very simple synth, though. It's kind of just, it's it's set it and forget it synth, really, here. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it sort of, we have a little bit of fun stuff, kind of funky stuff in the in the very top, but then it, it resolves into that, kind of that two-chord, wow, 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 wow. And that repeats for quite a long, basically for the whole song. Yeah, it sets us up for the backbone and it's it's really it's just it it works I guess in in this instance it works well because not only is that portion of the song repetitive, but too many too is repetitive. So maybe there is some level of there's some synergy there. It's true. I think there is a I think there's a thematic resonance in the in the form and the content yeah and do you think we could take do you think we have time check your calendar mm-hmm. would we have time to take a little trip down the root of the origin of of synthetic music here sure i think we've got time to hop in the time machine sure it's a me your history teacher it's a history lesson yeah Oh, a little little root tug, never hurt anyone. Ooh, ooh, I mean, depends on how hard you tug the root, but well, I've got soft hands. Um, <laughs> I was at my local record store last uh, over the weekend, and I moisturize. <laughs> I was at my local record store over the weekend and was pawing through the two dollar record section and the five dollar record section like some sort of a dirty record rat, and I came across. It's really fantastic album that probably a lot of our listeners are already familiar with, but it was new to me. It's a record, funnily enough, from 1968. That date should be rather familiar to you. It sure is. And it, it is an album called Switched on Bach. 
by、oh, Walter Carlos. That sounds very familiar. It should. It was a kind of watermark album by Walter Carlos, who collaborated with another gentleman whose name should sound familiar to you, Robert A. Moog. Oh wow! They worked together. Carlos was a a an audio engineer and tape editor at a at a at a very large New York music studio, and he had he was sort of a visionary of electronic music, and he worked with Moog to create. Various instruments, the very early days of these early synthesizers, and was showcasing them. And sometimes he was showcasing them with original compositions. But what he found was the most effective at kind of conveying the gospel of electronic music was to play Bach, and not just play it, but play it at the level of a really, really virtuosic performer. And so this is an album of Walter Carlos performing. Parts of the Brandenburg Concerto, parts of the the Magdalena Notebook, and and all these you know classic Bach pieces on an electronic instrument, and it sounds so freaking cool. I just want to show you the album art here for a second. It's a it's a version of Bach with his wig on in a spacesuit, floating <laughs> in space with a bunch of digital sound equipment. That's really cool. So not super relevant to this song, how except to say that. The roots of the electronic music reach quite far back, and and、uh, kind of an exciting discovery for me. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. That's that's really really early stuff, circa Mellotron, even you know.、Uh, very much so. Very much so. Moog and Mellotron are are cousins. They are or rivals. Ooh, rivals and cousins. They could be the same thing. Rivals, cousins, and maybe lovers, and <laughs> potentially lovers. Nick, what the other、uh, musical elements of this song? We have the bass coming in fairly early, and then we have Martin kind of doing these disjointed stings in the background, and then Ian's voice is placed almost a, a little bit off kilter from everything. There's something peculiar to me about this song, which is that I can't really figure out the time signature. I think there's a couple、ah. different ways of counting it. Yeah, but it is it is a bit strange, and it's not strange in the typical tall way of of there being lots of switching meters and lots of complexity and, and extra measures dropped in there. This I just can't I just straight up can't figure out what it's doing, and I don't think it changes within that. But I'm like, is it in twelve four time? Is it in some kind of a very fast four four that you just count super super quickly? Is it like is it in eight? Where do, where does the beat start? Yeah. I have the impression that all the different instruments are kind of operating on their own paths almost, and they do consistently overlap. But no one of them feels like it has the lead in terms of giving the beat. Even the drum is kind of like just giving these dum ba dum, dum ba dum kind of comments. Yeah, it's it's so muddy. Even though it's it feels fairly simple, it's muddy, and there's a layer a layering there where. Everybody's kind of like you said; they're kind of doing their own thing, but it's different from. I think a good example of that was "Thick as a Brick," where pe-、okay. where it, it would get like really hectic and chaotic, and you'd hear pieces up and down. Oh, and then it would come back together, and then they'd coalesce. Right? It, it, right. This never quite coalesces. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and you feel like it should because that synth is so simple and trudging in the background. You feel like everything should kind of come back down onto it, but it never does. I think that I, I 
I personally, I have to assume that all of this is intentional. You know, oh sure, my kind of yeah. go to with Tall is if it's there, it's supposed to be there. Yeah, and so for me, I'm wondering then, okay, what's the point of of creating a song like that? And is it just to kind of give the listener that unresolved, uneasy feeling that that supports the content? Mm-hmm. There's yeah. too many beats in the measure. <laughs> sure. To be very literal about it, sure. Yeah, I think that works. I, after listening to this song, I feel like I need a digestivo. What would your digestivo of choice be? Sonically, what would your sonic oh, digestive be? I was going to say Campari. <sighs> now I understand your question. <laughs> would it be tall or would you swap out for something completely different? Well, now I've got thick as a brick in my head. Oh, sure. But I think the reason... Part of, part of the reason is that you said that, but part yeah. of the reason is that it's got that lovely light, complex structure, but you but where you can see how everything's uh, related. Yeah, definitely. There is, if if you can get past the kind of trudging synth in this, which at some points reminds me of Stormwatch even, not even necessarily going back to Broadsword, but even further back to, to Stormwatch. I don't know, some of those like really broad stings. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I don't know, makes me think Stormwatch. But if you can get past that part of it, Jerry's drums are great. He's got Cowbell in there. Really solid Uh fun. Guess what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more Cowbell. Maybe it's a bit deceptive that it feels like it's a simple song musically, considering all of the pieces here and there and and in between and never, never quite coming together. But it gets to the point for me where it's just a bit too repetitive. Yeah, it's it feels a little heavy. It's it's plenitudinous. It is perhaps overwrought. It's maybe a little inflated. It gives me the feeling, and I don't mean this at all in a way of critiquing the song. I'm, I'm simply observing my own reaction to it. It makes me feel a little bit nauseated by the end of it. Hmm. You know, like when you're in a, a truck... And there's too many fumes, there's like fumes coming in and the radio is too loud. And you feel you're, you're on the throughway. So every two seconds is the thump, the thump, the thump, the thump. But you feel it in your body because you're going over those, those seams. Uh-huh. Because you're in the middle seat squished between, yeah. you know, the plumber and the, and the candlestick maker. Yeah. Where, I don't know where you guys are all going, but it's, it's Jersey. sure to be a good time. Yeah. <laughs> But that's the sort of sensation I have. I, I feel like I'm going down the highway and I feel like I'm just like too hot. Yeah. Like I'm over I'm overstimulated in, in some way without anything to grasp a hold of. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing to anchor you. Yeah. That's actually, that's a really good analogy. And if that's intentional, oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Yeah. If not, I need medication immediately. <laughs> but I can see why this isn't on the regular album. I, I feel like yeah. if this had been on the album, it may not have been a super popular song that being said there's a tall song out there who's like play too many too <laughs> yeah. please save my marriage that's it that's the key she said she said i will stay with you charles if if you can get ian anderson to play too many too that's right it's an angels in the outfield type situation nice. classic classic nick anything else to say musically about this song I didn't realize until this this very last listening that at the very end, as we're fading out, Ian comes in with two, two men, knee, knee, two, two, yes. two. And he kind of like, he kind of, he fluxes in and out as the, pew, 
Martin is going to town on on his yep. guitar and and it fades out. That's that's a cool touch. That's a nice flavor, an unusual fa- flavor that pulls the ear. That would have been a really nice effect. Maybe not him saying too many, you know, maybe something else. But I think we needed something like that further into the song, yeah. earlier in the song. It's interesting that you point that out. And that makes me realize another aspect of this, which is that if you listen to Martin's guitar in that section, he's got a pretty heavy echo mm-hmm. on his guitar. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that that is throughout the piece, that there is both a lot of reverb and a lot of echo, which yeah. which contributes a little bit to that, what you described as a muddy sound. Yeah. And what for me kind of feels just a little overwhelming where it's just like there's just waves and waves and waves of sound. Yeah. However, I'd still rather listen to this than Nickelback. Oh, oh, I owned, I've owned three Nickelback albums in my day. Goodbye. (laughs) It was a great friendship. I'm deleting you from everything. I'm deleting you from my memory. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. They were pretty ubiquitous in the area that we grew up when we were growing up. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, they got some serious radio play. Speaking of radio play, Nick, why don't we stop being on the radio and play ourselves out into the break room? That was that was smooth, smooth as silky smooth butter. Like peanut butter. <laughs> Easy to spread. Here we are, Omen. Oh my god, I thought I thought this was my dressing room. No, no. Budgetary constraints we now share. A broom closet. Okay. Hey, you know what? It's cozy. Nick, while we're on the break, is there any uh, housekeeping that we need to do in regards to the episode? Yeah, actually, Mary and Marley are back from their vacation. Uh, do you want to... Let's get them in here, please. And Marley. Thank you, Marley. I came for a broom. Oh, yeah. yeah Mary. Whatever you're doing up to here, it's not in my business. No, we're, I, we're, just, we're just taking a break. Hey, seven minutes in heaven, we called it. Yeah, this... Uh, I'm, a pig and a poke. Uh, Wonder which one of you is the pig. Mary, that's that's really... We're, we're actually working in here. Oh, yes, I can see that you're working it. Oh, I'll leave you alone, young master. So here's a letter that I brought in for you. Thank you, Mary. Thank Mary, you, so. you know you know you have a do not disclose agreement. You, you signed that when you first got here, Mary. You know that, right? Ah, my lips are as silent as a tomb. <laughs> They're one stick of butter away from making love. <laughs> a whole That's... a whole stick. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where she gets her ideas, Nick. Oh, let's see. It looks like she gave us a little email here. That's fun. That's right. You have an email. I have a YouTube. And uh, we've got one thing after that. So let's let's jump right in. Let's do email. <clears throat> Your emails, sir. Yes, here we have Eldest Potier, a recent and f- favorited writer in her, has written to us on the subject of Pussy Willow. They write, Just finished listening to the Pussy Willow episode. It's a great advertisement for why this really is a five-star podcast slash must-listen. Hey, you're preaching to the choir here. <laughs> Having only ever had one person to discuss this song with, It never in the past 40 years never occurred to me that this was a song about masturbation. That's why I rely on the Momes (laughs) to give me that completely fresh perspective on all things tall. You are 100% correct. 
that this is exactly the kind of double entendre that Ian Anderson would revel in. If this song had not been named Pussy Willow, I would say you were a pair of very naughty boys with your minds polluted by sex talk. But then, so was Ian Anderson. So yeah, well done, Moans. <laughs> On the other hand, music and all art is open to interpretation, and that is its beauty and its value. For me, in 1982, a song about fantasizing one's way to an orgasm would have been something to discard with the latest hit from Loverboy. In 1982, I was a sophomore in college and closer to being out of college than I was to being in high school. I was no longer really able to satisfy my need for escape in a weekly D&D or a more frequent session like in high school, so the superficial reading of the song touched me deeply, more than anything else on the record. This is your life, the 9 to 5 drudge, so get used to it. It sounds depressing, but it helped me face a grown-up future. The fantasy is fun and a diversion, but it's not life. I don't know if that's the meaning Ian intended either, but that's art. The artist creates and the viewer slash listener gives it meaning and relevance. So thank you for the alternate interpretation. Yet another time you've opened my eyes about a song and made me think, duh, one of your best episodes ever. Eldis. Well, indeed, as you say, it's all open to interpretation and we don't profess to know anything actually about this. We're just taking our best Guesses were our our semi-educated stabs in the dark. Speaking of stabbing in the dark, mm. Mm, is that a broom handle? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Eldis. If any song is going to touch you deeply, let it be Pussy Willow. Indeed. Nick, <laughs> what have you? I have myself a comment on the episode that dropped today. Watching me watching you. This is found on YouTube from user Micah Noel. This is some great info into the band itself at the time, the 1982 formation that is this present iteration of, of Jethro Tull. From Micah, my understanding is that Ian himself played a lot of keyboards in the 80s, including the Fairlight CMI and likely on any gear available to him at the time. He was already known for having his own home studio before it was ordinary, and PJV was quite the producer on top of playing keyboards. Hmm. I can imagine PJV inspiring Ian with all these new toys. It was Ian who took the drum machine into his own hands, and it enabled him to write, record, and produce a lot of his own material on his own. Hmm. On this song specifically, I do believe that the arpeggiator is automated and that it could have been mostly an IA solo track. There's no real proof that PJV even played on this track. I've never thought of Tull's keyboard parts in this era as the work of whichever keyboard player happened to occupy the position at the time, but as an interpretation of something written by Ian. The simplest hmm. parts are things that can easily be played by someone as talented as Ian, even though he's not known as a keyboard player. I myself have written super simple parts for my own songs, hoping that another keyboard player could expand on them to make them better, but that doesn't always mean the original tracks aren't going to be used. Especially when there's multiple layers, I can imagine a basic chord progression having been played by Ian, with PJV adding virtuoso flourishes over the top. But it's also difficult to think of Broadsword as an album without also considering the load of bonus tracks that could have been included. 
Ian considers himself much more of a live musician than a studio musician, but this era was clearly dedicated to spending more time in the studio than ever and writing songs for the sake of writing them, probably knowing they wouldn't become part of the live repertoire. These are some of my most favorite songs of all, and I fantasized of a B-Sides tour where he mostly plays songs that never made it on the albums. Oh, how amazing would that be? That is a great comment, Micah. Thank you. Yeah, and, you know, really, really shoring up our point that for every song out there, there that is someone's favorite. Yeah. Yeah, and and the the B-sides, there there's so much value to the B-sides. I mean, even when you get past the novelty of of a song that you've barely heard, you know, there is value in those songs because you can you get a good glimpse of sometimes the less than polished pieces that gives you a little more of an idea of what was going on at the time. It's yeah. Absolutely. I mean, even, even a song that you don't particularly like, you know, it, it gives you a perspective on the, on the recording process. I think that's a really interesting point that, you know, could there have been multiple hands involved in the piano tracks? And I think that the song that we're currently talking about is a good candidate for something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. With, with how simple it, it just repeats over and over. It it could have been Ian just programming and then and then going to town elsewhere. Yeah, and even PJV over top of that, exactly. You know, yeah, because it is it, it does have that it has that layered effect. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again, Micah. Greatly appreciate it. And one final note before we get in: there is a new Jethro Tull podcast on the scene, folks. That's right. We heartily, with open. Pants, welcome to the the Tull the Pod of Tullosphere, a new project entitled Nick The Broadsword Files. Fantastic name. Do we know where it's out of? The no, no, not the, I. I am not aware yet. I think you can find them on Apple Podcasts and you can find them on YouTube. I wasn't able to find them on my specific player just yet, but that may change in the future. It's just a couple of blokes just sitting in a room talking about Tull. That's kind of the thing to do. I mean, that's what every other tall podcast has been. That's what every podcast is. I, I do have to say they are claiming to be the definitive Jethro Tall podcast. So I'm, I'm really hardly considering a t-shirt that says, talk tall to me. Apparently not definitive enough. I think, I think we are more descriptive than definitive. When Ray heard that, I was listening to their their first episode, and Ray heard that. She's like, what? Who do they think I they think... are? Are they even doing a song, an episode? No one, no one gets more protective of this podcast than your wife, and I love it. Who does not listen to this podcast? It's the best. No, no, no. <laughs> and that is it. Everybody go listen to The Broadsword Files, but come back and listen to us as well, please. The more the merrier. Speaking of which, I don't think we're alone in this closet. Oh, that's... I've been sleeping here during my breaks oh, in the day. That's what that heavy breathing was. That's, that's actually a great relief. <laughs> All right, Marley, we'll, we'll get out of here and let yeah. you take your union break. Go for it, Marley. Thank you. Much obliged. All right. That special time with the bucket coming up. Welcome back, Omen. We are at the the second portion of our podcast today. We're going to talk the content that makes up the song Too Many Too. Too many drivers in too many cars, too many lost souls drinking in too many bars, too many heroes stepping on too many toes. Too many drivers in too many cars, 
Nick, is there a theme of this song? Two. It's two, right? Is that it? Mm. Yeah. Okay. Too many. It's 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 overpopulation. It's it's a world filled with the excesses of life yes. and and of any and all varieties. Overconsumption. Perhaps. Yeah. Being overwhelmed, even oh, right. Or, you know yeah. the, the feeling, one's reaction to seeing the inflated world around mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's kind of a, a laundry list of of things. It's 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 Ian walking down the street or or riding the train and looking out and seeing all of these things and kind of find finding the negative in it all. You know, maybe he was in a particularly sour mood. Yeah, or just or just not being able to process. Maybe just being um, kind of se- sensitive to the to the experience in a way. Yeah, sensory overload. Yeah, right. Because it's interesting, you know, the way that I the way that my mind expects this song to go is like, okay, yes, too many drivers and too many cars, too many yes men nodding when they really mean no. Too many yes men nodding when they really mean no. But. By contrast, here's my safe, happy place where everything's right. Great. Yeah, we don't have. We, we never that. get there. Yeah, that's rare for an Ian Anderson song. It's just he goes on too much sunshine, too many drops of rain. Too much sunshine, too many drops of rain. Right. So it's not. It's either he finds the the good, or he there's a line of demarcation where it's man-made gross yuck oh but then we go over into nature and there's like a haven we have the garden yeah library, right well it reminds me right what's the botanic man mm-hmm. is a good example of that song where it's like over there is all the bad stuff but in here in the garden everything is okay yeah this is just the world is too big <laughs> no the world's not big enough i would say there's not enough room anymore to if oh, if it were bigger, everything could be a little more spread out, and it wouldn't be so congested and and condensed in one area. It's interesting. It kind of goes from the I, I like the the angle that you're taking with it, the, the overpopulation, the urban sprawl yeah. aspects, and I think that's very much there, especially because in the '80s there was this kind of explosion of the suburban mm-hmm. places in the world, and so you would get that sense of like, oh my god, they're building a new complex here. Why? Yeah, and there was a lot of concern at the time beginning to grow about overpopulation and you know this thought was starting to occur of what is the maximum population that the earth can support and are we headed there too quickly it reminds me of the song by pete seeger we'll all be a doublin the chorus goes we'll all be a doubling a doubling a doubling we'll all be a doubling in 32 years Mm. it's a simple math equation sure two times 16 is 32 twice that's 64 next comes 128 And do you want to hear more? Two times two is four. Two times four is eight. Two times eight is sixteen. And the hour is getting late. We'll all be a doubling, a doubling, a doubling. We'll all be a doubling in forty-two years. We'll all be a doubling, a doubling, a doubling. We'll all be a doubling in forty-two years. Twice sixteen is thirty-two. Next comes sixty-four. Next comes 128. Do we need to hear more? It's the sister song to Skating Away. Right, totally. That was Ian's first, like, really big, like, population growth song. Yeah, absolutely. But then, but it's not, I I think that's a great place to start with the analysis of this, but I think that it then goes into a little bit of more the philosophical realm 
Too much sunshine, too many drops of rain. Well, how can there be too much sunshine or too much rain? You know, too much for what? There, there can't be too mm. much weather. There's the amount of weather that there is. Yeah. So too much for Ian. Possibly, possibly. Right? Too many equal and average children who will all grow up the same. Too many equal and average children will all grow up the same. Peculiar phrase. Oh, I, I want to go back to weather really quick, though. Yeah. Maybe this does play into the man-made effect on the climate, though. Some places are flooding. Other places are droughting. You know? It could be that. No, it could be that. And as I was saying it, I, I had that thought. But I, I get the sense that that's not what it's about. Okay. It feels to me like it's too intense or, or the, the observer doesn't have the capacity to process it. Where it gets really interesting, you know, too many fireside politicians holding too many views. Too many fireside politicians holding too many views. Okay, we can sort of understand that, that the politicians are, are too wavering in their views or there are too many opinions being expressed. Too many questions, but there are answers too few. Too many questions, but there are answers too few. Ooh, this is very interesting because that actually gets to, to the heart of a very interesting philosophical critique of the scientific process itself and scientific innovation. So... I'm just reading Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance right now, which is a book on on philosophy. It's written by a guy who was a genius and kind of came to this philosophical wall and had a mental breakdown, had electroshock therapy where his old personality was completely destroyed. And he suddenly was like born into a new personality and he wrote a book about this experience. Wow. It's very, very intense. But one of the but the kind of one of the thoughts that led him toward this point of crisis was he was a scientist and he was observing all right the point of science is to progress great yeah but the scientific method is one that in which it's very easy to come up with hypotheses and very difficult to come up with proofs with with proven theories Right, And every time you go through the scientific process to prove a hypothesis, you actually create more questions than you answer. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, we are moving further away from any kind of truth in the world because we are creating more and more and more doubt and answering fewer and fewer of those questions. Huh. And so can the scientific process really be said to lead us toward any sense of truth or is it just this activity that we keep doing? That's the question that that led him to the breakdown, or is that the? That was one of the questions along the way. Yes, that led okay. him to this to this very intense kind of provocation of of rational thought. Yeah, there's a bit of an existential thing there for sure, and I think there is one here as well. Okay, too many questions, but there are answers too few. Like there are there are simply too many unknowns, and there are too few things that one can say. Yes, this is truthful. This is this is a point that we can depend on. Okay. And I wonder if there if that kind of existential crisis is maybe at the heart of this song and that's why the dry, the the you know, the proliferation of drivers is getting to him. That's why the fact that the cats can lose too many lives, everything is kind of being exacerbated by this feeling of of existential existence being too much. That's interesting. I see it as the other way. I see it as as the stepping stones, the building blocks to get to that point, as opposed to the other way around, which both work completely valid. Tell me more. How do you mean? 
that the more these little things annoy him, they break down his resolve. Mm. And eventually he gets to the point where it's just like, what's the point? Yeah. There's too, there's too many questions. You're totally right. It does work both ways and it may be a reciprocal process. Oh, sure. Absolutely. It's an Ouroboros of just misery and yeah. self-doubt. I saw too many cars, therefore I'm experiencing existential dread. And because I'm experiencing existential dread, the sunshine is really pissing me off. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. Again and again. Yeah. And then we kind of return to this classic Ian critique of society. If I were a liar, yes, and you were a cheat... There would be too many places where we all could meet. Too many temples where we could worship the beast. We have the beast again, going back to the beastie theme. If I were a liar, yes, you were a cheat. There would be too many places where we all could meet. Too many temples where we could worship the beast. Beast reference, I think... I think if I've learned anything about this album as a whole is the beast is kind of a catch-all term here. Doesn't have to be that pixie character on the cover. I agree. It's any, it's a boogeyman. It's, it's something that is, it's not just something that's scary and goes bump in the night. It's something that actively causes an issue for you. It's true evil. It's, it's the existence of evil in the world. Yeah. And, and I think that part of, Maybe what I'm realizing that Broadsword and the Beast is about is we talked a little bit about The White Fire of Time by Ellen Kinsley, that book of poetry. Yeah. A lot of that book has to do with the multi-layered, the, the, milli, the millifuric nature of evil, that, that evil is this very diverse thing. Yeah, right, right. It can manifest in any number of ways, but it still ultimately comes down to being the beast right exactly so you know in this verse he seems to be saying that society is so corrupt that even if we were the worst people in the world we would be very comfortable almost anywhere that we went because the world supports that kind of immoral or not good behavior we'd be with our own kind right yeah where he who thinks he had the most in fact has the least and at the end of each verse, we get too many lives each cat can lose. Too many lives each cat can lose. We've got too many, too. Oh, interesting. Meaning we've also got too many lives. Yeah. Okay. One question. Question number one. Yes. Do you think that maybe he lost the cat and was in a very bad mood and wrote this song? I mean, it could really sour you and it could be one of those moments of like, why did my cat have to die when... Too many drivers and too many cars. Yeah. It's highly possible. The cat wasn't used to being to there being so much traffic on this road, but now that the city is expanding. Yeah. And Ian is, Ian is a sucker for a cat. Ian is a sucker for people not following the rules. He's a sucker for, for not res- people not respecting other people. I, I, it works. It works very well. Follow-up question. Yes. We've got too many, too. We have too many lives to lose as well. Does that refer to the classic truism or the the classic phrase, a coward dies a thousand deaths? I like that. I I originally interpreted it as we, like the collective human race, we 
people have died. Have too many. Oh, yeah. Because there's so many of us, population-wise, we are experiencing loss at a greater level than ever before. Right, and yet we're still overpopulating. Hmm. I like that. Yeah. Well, how does your how does your your theory fit in here? Well, you know, kind of going off of that, the beginning of that third stanza, you know, that he's describing people who are liars and cheats and you know worship the the beast of evil and and have you know bad morals essentially morals that are that that don't value what is actually valuable and so that brings with it a certain kind of suffering where each of us dies sure. every single day sure right morally or 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 in some kind of philosophical way we we die a death of of the kind of goodness that's in us we you know we we cut down or we compromise all the time, just so that we can keep surviving in this world. That's kind of what I was thinking. I like that a lot. However, counterpoint, Go. let's go back up to that first verse, too many heroes stepping on too many toes. So it's so even the heroes, to contrast those cowards, mm. are still at fault for, for one thing or another. Yeah. It's interesting. I feel like there is a little bit of a, there is a turning on itself, which is very, very, very awesome, typical Ian writing yeah. where there's the kind of the level of reality, there's the level of philosophy or theology, and those two are mixing into one another like a mm. marbled rye bread. I like I like rye. And when you cut a slice, you get the white and the rye. You can see both of them, but you can't separate them anymore because they're baked in together. It's rye and pumpernickel, right? The the pumpernickel's the brown. What isn't rye brown? No, rye rye is like a it's a it's a very light brown, like it's a tan. Like me. But the the dark brown, like you. And the dark brown is is pumpernickel. Right, exactly. It's that kind of a bread. Yeah. Caraway seeds on top. Little butter. Good to go. Fresh Should out of the oven. It on there. I have a renewed well, it's not even renewed. I have a new appreciation for this song. Dissecting it lyrically. Musically I don't think it does it justice. I think this could be, I think there could be a better vehicle to get this point across. I think it's a challenge to listen to. Definitely. It's not as, it's not as palatable, but you know, at the same time, part of the, the raison d'etre of Jethro Tull is to, to push the, the format of rock and roll. And, you know, I think that we've, we've pushed into kind of a dark, weird corner here. Yeah. And it is all part of the house of prog rock. That's right. That's right. It's the scary basement. Yeah. We're in the crawl space of Frog Rock. You eventually just start throwing stuff down the stairs and say, one day I'll turn on the light and take care of all of it. Not today. I'm not doing that right now. Yeah. It's the funny little dead space behind the cabinet of Frog Rock. Oh my gosh. Who would put that there? Who? That Why? That is an odd design flaw. But hey, yeah. it's part of the house. Why are there bones at the bottom of it? Why? You know what? Just seal it up. <laughs> put, put the fridge there. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell the realtor. Nick, anything else to say about too many too? Nothing for me. I've used up all too many of my opinions. Very good. Nick... What do we have to look forward to next week? Next week, we are on bonus track number four. It is Overhang. Oh, how exciting. 
Until next week, if there are too many days in between this podcast drop and next week's podcast drop, you can relieve your suffering by simply going onto our Patreon, dropping us a $5 a month subscription cost, dropping us a $5 a month ticket price, dropping us $5 a month. Yeah, there you go. That's better. (laughs) And that will give you access to two... Many, two more podcasts. And our Discord, where there are too many tall skulls. Sharing too many views. You don't even need to use all of the lives of a cat. There are too many of those. You can just use five in the form of stars and give us a review. (laughs) Rating. I mean, it's cringing right now. (laughs) My goodness. I apologize to everyone. You know the drill. Until next week, I am the last life that a cat can lose. Nick McGill. I am the too average child, Omen said. We are neither liar nor cheat, the feckless momes. And this is a lost soul drinking in a bar. Talk tall to me. Welcome back, Pozo! It's the Binky and Pozo Takes a Walk Hour! Yay! Let's go for a walk! I need to stretch my hammies. Yay! I've got on my special shoes! Here we go! Oh, the sun is bright and warm and beautiful! Look, Binky! I have a spot on my skin from the sun! Oh, could be cancerous. Who knows? Let's find out. Let's hope it's benign. Here we are at the store, Binky. Let's go in. Okay. Ooh, this is what we call a food desert. Ooh, where's the cactuses? Not cactuses. This is all junk food. There's nothing healthy to consume. Yay! I'm going to lie down on this empty shelf after eating all these sugary snacks. (laughs) Time to get up and keep going, Pozo. Here we go. Off to the next adventure! Oh my goodness, look at all those used needles on the ground. (gasps) They're so shiny! And everyone in this park is taking a nap! Don't touch them, the sleepers or the needles. Not the sleepers nor the peepers! These people are enjoying a good pastime thanks to the opioid crisis. Can you spell opioid? O-P-I- Oh! My God, are you holding out on me, man? I just need a little taste. Oh, oh, Pozo, do you hear that? Do you hear that sound? Yes, Binky. It's the cops. Everybody hide in the bush. Cheese it. It's the fuzz. Ooh, I can hear what's on their radio. It sounds like a fun new program. That's right. It sounds like our friends at Talk Tall to Me. Uh, we've got two uh, two furries, perhaps that look like some kind of uh, some kind of freakazoids. They uh, probably probably illegal homosexuals in the park. <laughs> Copy it over and out. Shoot to kill. Shoot to kill.
Okay, we're gonna do that, but uh, but first, let me just finish the podcast. Talk Tell to Me is a proud member of the Feckless Moons Audio Network. I love the Feckless Moons! Yeah! <laughs>